In the name of the loving, life-giving, and liberating God, who is Blessed Trinity, amen. Jesus, who was hailed as Messiah on Palm Sunday, has now been killed. The women and only one of the twelve disciples stand at the cross, weeping as the man that they had come to know and love breathed his last. Weeping as the man who had raised Lazarus from the dead only the week before now dies himself. And to truly understand what was felt in that moment, we must face Jesus' death as the disciples did, not knowing what would happen three days later. Now, there were many different messianic expectations in Jesus' time. Just as we have denominations now, the Jews were not a monolithic religion. Some expected an earthly king who would overthrow Rome, and this is likely the one that's familiar to you. But other Jews expected a high priest who would teach them true worship, or God coming to rule at the throne of David at the end of time. But none of these expectations ended with the death of the Messiah before a full and lasting peace had been achieved. Jesus' death on that Good Friday was a defeat, an end. It meant that Jesus could not be the Messiah. It was an end to the hope that Jesus had spread like wildfire, a rebuke to the life of love and grace that he had lived, a limit to the power he had shown to heal and feed and give life. It was a confirmation of all our worst fears. That night skies finish last. That you have to kill or be killed. That you have to stand your ground. Jesus did none of those things. Instead, Jesus stood silent in the face of his accusers. Let them call him King of the Jews when he had made no move to sit on an earthly throne. And having said nothing, he was killed. Jesus chose a way of nonviolence as the leader's violence against him grew, even though he knew the cost of nonviolence in a violent world. His nonviolence brought him to an end a senseless death for a man who had shown only compassion, not at the hand of the Jews writ large, but at the hands of a select few leaders in power who knew that Jesus' unconditional grace and love would upset the balance of power, would upset the status quo. They knew Jesus, if allowed to continue, would breathe life into the people, would tell the masses that they were worth something, and in doing so, would shift who was in charge. 
Not everyone was afraid of this change. Many Jews followed Jesus, had been touched by his healing power and love, and had been changed themselves. So Jesus' death was shocking. This man had been different from all the others who had claimed to be the Messiah. This man had shown them an entirely new way of life, one ruled by love and mercy. The disciples didn't know what to do. They had left everything to follow Jesus, and now he was dead. They had watched him heal people, the people laid low by society, which values production over human life. They watched him give grace to people they thought least deserved it. They thought him the Messiah, bringing a new way of life. But the changes he had begun were all brought to an end. The hopes they had nourished, the excitement they had felt, all of it dashed. And they fled in shame after only hours before proclaiming that they would never leave Jesus. Now they hid, not knowing what to do. Jesus hadn't fought his death. Jesus had been taken so willingly. The disciples hardly knew what to make of it. He had been given to the Roman officials who were told he claimed to be the king of the Jews, and as soon as the disciples heard that, they knew that Jesus was in trouble. They knew that Rome would not tolerate such a claim, but Jesus didn't object. Our Gospels try to paint a flattering lacquer over Pilate, showing him as a semi-sympathetic character, because writers knew that Rome was still powerful. But the title, King of the Jews, is an affront to Caesar, to the power of the state. And it was no wonder that this charge was laid to spur Roman involvement. And from what we know of Pilate historically, he was a cruel ruler. But still, Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't contradict their claim. He offered no explanation for the charges laid against him. So Pilate brought him to the crowd. The disciples watched with dread as the crowd before Pilate gave in to its baser instincts. The same instincts that led spectators to the Roman Colosseum to watch bloody battles. The same instincts that led crowds of thousands to watch torturous lynchings less than a century ago. Being in a crowd, a congregation, if you will, can focus us towards good experiences but it can just as easily turn sour. The loudest among us make it okay to give in to violence or simply drown out any opposition. It's hard to stem the flow once the river of emotion has been unleashed and a crowd more easily normalizes these negative experiences. All this to say that we could have just as easily been swept up in this moment 
or just as easily swept aside. The disciples were all swept aside, going into hiding to avoid the furor of the crowd, lest they be killed alongside Jesus. And now that he's dead, they don't know what to do next. They did not know, as we know, that Jesus' death was not an end. Until God accomplished victory in the resurrection of Jesus, death still held sway over our hearts. The fear of death keeps us from risk, from loving abundantly. And so Jesus went to death willingly to show us that death holds no sway unless we give it power. Death can only hold us if we play by its rules. If we kill to avoid being killed, if we stand in defiant opposition to preserve our lives, then we have given in to death. We have believed the lies of scarcity, of self-interest, of individualism. It is in letting go of these lies that death loses its hold over us. It is in trusting the grace of a God who sent his son to be one of us, to look into our eyes and forgive us, that we join in Jesus' triumph over death. It is in losing our lives that we keep them, counting others as greater than ourselves. Jesus' death was able to be swallowed up in resurrection because he identified a larger truth in the world, that of love. Jesus lived a life of love made true by the grace and compassion he showed to others. Jesus lived a life that revealed the character of God. From the Psalms, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Death, violence, sin, they are all cyclical. Death invites more death. Violence leads to greater violence. Sin normalizes and perpetuates sin. In order to stop the cycle, Jesus had to step outside the bounds and open the way to allow us to do the same. Jesus did not lash out at those who accused him, but continued to live the life of grace and love that had upset the powers of sin and death from the very beginning. Jesus refused to repay us in kind for the ways that we upheld death and violence. Instead, Jesus stands always with an invitation, an invitation to step out of the cycles of death and sin and to step into a life of grace and love. The power of God lies in the choice not to overpower, to instead invite us into a different relationship with the world and with God, God does not fight death with death, but instead submits to death 
and then gives new life. And God invites us to the same. The king proclaimed on Palm Sunday was one who would take our weapons of war and bring us peace. Jesus is that king, and he walked the road before us to show us what it means to lay down self-interest, to lay aside the protections we use to stand in opposition, and instead walk on the road of peace with Jesus to the cross. Don't be swept aside, but instead reveal the frailty of a system of death in the face of new life. If even one candle is lit, darkness cannot prevail. Amen.